Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. Much better. We're going to begin our service this morning by standing and singing Crown Him with Many Crowns.
Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for this gracious opportunity to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. And I just pray that your grace and its sufficiency will do its work in our lives and in this service. And may we be drawn closer to you. May we be touched by you. May we be changed by you in such a way that as we leave this place, we'll certainly be uh, serving you in a stronger uh, manner in a way that will bring honor and glory to your name. So help us, strengthen us, uh, show us a way, and may we submit to that way. In Jesus' name, amen. service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing, I will wait for you.
Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you for the music, and I would like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. It is a delight in seeing you that can make it today. I know that some uh, still don't feel that safe in coming, but uh, that's fine. You just pray for the time for them to arrive. And also, for you that are here, please uh, continue to take steps of safety. Remember that it's not just me or you, it's people that are involved. So if you don't feel well, please don't come. There's masks back here. If you feel comfortable wearing those, uh, please do so. We want to be safe here. Now, and we want to keep you safe. This is a passage that we come to in Matthew that I want you to uh, really be praying about because this is a passage that we may claim that we do as churches, but very few denominations, very few churches do carry through with that, including ours, at least consistently. And this is a thing that is needed tremendously if we're going to keep a pure church and I, I mean by pure, not perfect, but I mean by pure in the sense of keeping our eyes focused on the Lord and what He wants us to do and how He wants us to live. We've got to face this. We have in, seen in this chapter a concern. This persistent, uh, persistent theme that's running through it. And this is very important because before we move into this passage and especially the last part of the passage after the parable I want us to understand this theme because this passage will be misconstrued will be taken out of context will be handled wrongly which it is many times if we don't keep uh, get this theme and that theme that's been running throughout chapter 18 is a concern a concern for little ones, for children. A concern. I don't think we have the concern a lot of times. I think we miss out on the concern often. I think it's easy to get into a legalistic type of method and procedure to carry through with things and forget about the concern that's involved here. We just go through the steps if we operate in this, this manner. Jesus put all of this in chapter 18. Had Matthew write this this way for a reason. He wanted them to understand before they start operating in this manner with this procedure, with this discipline, concern. So children are represented here as children of God in God's kingdom. They are very vulnerable. They are to be humble. That's the way the prerequisite for entering into God's kingdom, wasn't it? To humble yourselves unto the Lord. 
to see that you're a sinner, that you can't make it on your own, and to get rid of that pride, humble yourself, and come before the Lord because that is one of the keys to living the Christian life. And that is humility, humbleness as a child of God. Too many problems, too many splits, too many arguments, too many fightings go on in God's house, in God's church, because of a lack of humility. We know what <clears throat> kingdoms on earth look like. And God is, uh, the Lord is presenting this to his followers for a reason because it is just the opposite of what the world is looking for with kingdoms. Kingdoms on earth represent what? Greatness, power, position of authority. You don't see humble kings or if you do it's very rarely to have a humble king actually runs against the logic of kingship in the ancient world where Jesus was but it runs pretty much in opposition to what we want as kings today and countries. We want to be proud. We want to be strong. Well, that's good to a degree. But you better realize who the one who is making it possible is. It was Washington who had the vision for Washington, my understanding, Washington, D.C. He had a vision. He wanted to make it mighty. It was a swampland, and he told this French architect to design and build the city, which would be the capital of this great nation, and it, for it to be in such a grand scale with buildings and monuments so that it would intimidate foreigners. This is what makes a kingdom or a nation great, intimidating others. To have a vision for a country of 13 colonies and to take a swampland and turn it into a mighty place that would intimidate foreigners, that's a feat. That's an act to accomplish. Today, it's a city that says power. Today, it's a city that says more power. Today, it's a city that says most power. That's what you see. A lot of people that are servants of the people are no longer servants of the people once they go to Washington, are they? Power. Power. But this is true of major cities and other kingdoms and other countries. <clears throat> Jesus tells the people listening to him, God's kingdom is represented by humility. To enter it, you must be like a child. By most, it was not what they were wanting to hear. 
even during that time. They wanted some Messiah that would come in and be powerful to lead them. They were looking for this. No different than we are today when we look for a leader many times. The concern for the little ones in turn of their vulnerability was not something that they thought about. Jesus said, If anyone would lead one of the little ones astray with their childlike faith, it would be better what? For a milestone or millstone to be tied around them and cast into the water to drown. That's the light that he shed on the importance, the value that he placed in children or with children. Those principles for operation, they're heavenly principles. <clears throat> the strategy was new. It was a gospel strategy. Concern, once again, is the key to understanding what is being taught here. Concern. If you don't leave with anything, leave with that word in your mind, concern. That's the key. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, See that you don't despise one of these little ones. The word despise carries the idea of not thinking little of. He's talking about treating one another with a sense of value. Do we treat each other with a sense of value? That's what makes up God's kingdom. Do you really treat each other with value? This is what Jesus is telling them. If you're going to be God's people, kingdom people, then you need to learn to start treating each other with value. He's talking about treating one another with a, this sense of value, and uh, we can see that he says, don't despise the little ones and cause them to sin, to stumble. In Matthew 18, 5 through 9, he talks about that. But one can also despise a little one by looking down on another believer by failing to confront a believer's sin or confronting one with a vengeful motive. This is where we're going to be dealing, or this is what we're going to be dealing with later on. We probably won't get to all of this today. This is such an important passage. Why? Because it's so neglected today. Because the world looks at it in a different way and the church has taken that viewpoint, that perspective into the church. We, I have failed with this. And also, not only that, talked about in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 18, but failing to forgive a brother in verses 21 through 35. We'll talk about that later. So those three, stumbling by causing one to sin in 5 through 9, uh, by, uh, you know, uh, failing to confront a brother's sin or confronting one with a vengeful, and this is so, this happens so often 
a vengeful motive or spirit. In verses 15 through 20 and then verses 21 through 35, failing to forgive a brother. So Jesus goes on to explain to the listeners that each of these little ones have a guardian angel, if you will. These angels seem to be assigned to believers. They have access before the Father. They always have the uh, immediate attention of the Father. So if they have that immediate attention, they're watching over these who are believers, these little ones, and they bring that to the attention of the Father, then you can see how valuable every believer in Jesus Christ is. Now we need to understand this. Little ones and the Father's care is very important and valuable. So we arrive in Matthew 18, 12, and we read these words. What do you think? I want you to highlight that, look at that. Here he is asking the question before he tells the story this time. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. Thus it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Now, the story is probably most familiar out of the Gospel of Luke. But it's talking about in that context, please listen, in that context about the primary emphasis is about lostness and foundness. Here, Matthew is in a different context. What has he been talking about? Who has he been talking about? Little ones who are what? In his kingdom. Keep that context in mind. Little children who are humble and vulnerable. In verse 12, why does he begin with a question? Well, many of them begin with a question because they want you to start thinking about what he is saying. So often we read a statement and we just read over it, don't we? And they were the same way, hearing a statement and just going on with it. But he wanted them to really think about what he was about to say. He says this before he even begins the parable because he wants their attention. You had better listen carefully, in other words, because this is going to be counterintuitive. A counterintuitive story. If you don't listen carefully, you will miss the point of the story. Now let's look and see why it would be so easy to miss what Jesus is saying. He says, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them wander off, wouldn't you leave the hundred on the mountain and go searching for the one lost? Sure. I mean, that's one percent of your wealth. 
that's wandered off, right? You don't want to lose that. 1% of your net worth is out there somewhere wandering around. Better go get it and come back. Well, with some, that would be conventional thinking, but is that the mindset during that day and time and with a shepherd? Jesus has just been talking and teaching about the little ones who represent humility and vulnerability along with them being in his kingdom. And vulnerability of these little ones couldn't be more symbolized than with the lost sheep here. But would you leave all of those to go and look for one? You see, there's a problem here. We're talking about sheep. And sheep are the most defenseless animals on earth. They have nothing with which to protect them. They, you know, they have no horns. They, uh, uh, you know, they, they have very little brains. They have no claws. Seems like nothing with which to protect themselves. They even don't know what to do in case of emergency. I read where we're told that sheep are so vulnerable and unintelligent that they are one of the few animals that will run from a fire. They'll just stay there, not knowing what to do until it's too late. But hey, what better animal to describe us, amen? <laughs> Man, how many of us play with fire? How many believers, and we're going to be looking at dealing with this situation and sin, how many believers play with fire? Hang around with it too long. How many of us have done it at times? You know, we're sheep. Jesus could not have chosen a better animal to represent the vulnerability of the little ones in the kingdom. When Jesus asked a question about leaving 99 sheep to go and look for the one, the people in that day would have known the answer. We may not today, but they would have. It would not have been a yes. You don't leave these unintelligent, defenseless animals by themselves. Man, you're going to get in a lot more, worse uh, problem if you left 99 to go and look for one. That's crazy to their conventional thinking, their wisdom. If you have 100 sheep, just think of it. Think about it. You, your hands are full. You have 400 legs prone to wander. With sheep, those legs would be going in different directions. That's why the shepherd, having sheep, a lot of them during this day and time have sheep dogs, don't they? To help them. They need help. That is why the shepherds carry a crooked staff. Not staff on their, their uh, you know, their paid thing, but staff, you know, and uh, in their hand. He has to remain alert at all times for the hundred sheep with those 400 little legs prone to wonder. Now in describing man, boy, Isaiah hit it right on the head, didn't he? All we 
like sheep have gone astray. We've gone to our own way. Sheep neither have the intelligence nor the fortitude to stay together and move in the right direction. Those little legs are going different directions. So the conventional thinking of that day would say, no, don't leave them because you'll be in a bigger mess. You'll be in 99 more messes. If you did, when you got back, you wouldn't have any sheep probably around. So the logical answer to the question Jesus poses is no. But this is where God's kingdom is different. This is where he's wanting us to think about the concern here and have the concern for one another in his body of believers. Jesus knew their thinking. He gave this parable as a revolutionary thinking parable with that question. Why did it hit them by surprise? It was because so many people miss it. And especially us today, we miss it. We just read over it. So he hits them with that question to begin with, and then he tells a story. The emphasis here is on the little ones. We look at it as, well, you know, we think of it today, and I'm sure some of them thought of it back then the same way. You know, you think and you say, well, some are going to be lost anyway. You know, I mean, that's their problem. They choose to go that route. We think of lost people that way, don't we? Well, some of them are going to end up in hell anyway. Some people believe, well, they're predestined to hell. You know, and that takes all the, you know, responsibility out. But uh, some say, well, you know, some of them just going to end up there. Well, just like in Luke where he's talking about lostness and foundness, we never have a right to give up on that individual. We should be praying for them, thinking about them, you know, trying to witness to them and praying that someone would be led to witness to them and the same way with sanctification those who are believers in Jesus Christ we should not give up on people yes they may not listen to us anymore but we should continue to pray for them and have a concern for them Jesus is pointing to the way that God's love is different than our love his ways are different than our ways He's pointing to the fact of God's agenda being so different that from our agenda. He's pointing to the way that God's scale of value is so different from our scale of value. He's making a point that God seeks sinners in a way counterintuitive to that of Caesars today and emperors and, and leaders of the world the way we uh, seek them out. So, first of all, we need to understand God's scale of value and how it differs from ours. So let's just look at this little parable. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? No. Wrong. 
And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Do you want to know what causes rejoicing in heaven? Well, Jesus says in Luke, when there's one that turns to repentance, God rejoices over that. It's not rejoicing over some position or some great Pharisee or great teacher. It isn't when a king is crowned king or he does some magnificent kingly act. It's when one, just one sinner is found. That is the heartbeat of heaven. That is how God is glorified in the redemption of sinners. God seeks sinners. He does it in a way that defines, you know, defiles human imagination. His way puts to shame a human set of values. We seek the mighty. We seek the name. We seek the power. He seeks the humble. The vulnerable. God rejoices over that one being found more than the 99 that has gone astray, not gone astray. Now this is not only truly true with the redemption of lost souls, but also the sanctification, as I said, of saved souls. In verse 14, Thus it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Now what does he mean by perish? If he's talking to saved people, which I believe he is, because he's been talking to God's children, then what does he mean here? Well, what he means here is that we as believers have no right to write off anyone when it comes to first salvation. But we have no right also to write off anyone when it comes to them straying from the church. We should continue to pray for them. They may go in that direction, but we should pray for them. We must remember that not one of us wandered into the gospel, did we? We did everything we could to wander away. It was the grace and mercy of God that captured us. That is why we should not give up on the lost, and that is why God's grace continues to operate after we're saved in the body of Christ, and we shouldn't give up on one another. The same is true with every sheep that has wandered away. That's why we should not give up on them either. Have you ever given up on one? By our actions, I I guess you could say I have, yeah. Well, just let them go, you know. I've had that attitude probably at times, I'm ashamed to say. That's not right. Here Matthew has been talking about children of the kingdom. That's his context. Disciples of the Lord should have the same heart, same same passion, same desire as that of our Heavenly Father. Now the little ones are not only of great importance. I want to say that in the kingdom of God. He rejoices, it says, over that more than 99. That does not mean that He did not rejoice over them staying. That was implied. He rejoiced over them remaining there. It just means that his grace reaches out to those who are most vulnerable 
in a big way, in a great way. And they are a matter of responsibility for the church. We should not become stumbling blocks to those little ones who are weak. Christ in this context is not talking about reaching the lost in Matthew, as I said. He's talking about those who are in the church. Jesus now talks about those who are in his kingdom. In verse 15, And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. Now that's from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. This is very serious in what the church needs to start operating under. We're not operating under that. Not fully. We we have aborted it at times. And I take that upon my shoulders my responsibility if your brother sins go and reprove him in private that's the first if he listens to you you've won a brother if he does not listen to you you take two because there could be more involved once he is confronted or she is confronted and if he or she refuses to listen to them Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, you say, no more church fellowship. You don't do away with them. You continue to pray for them. We've already talked about that there. God cares for them, but this is one way that God brings to their attention their sin. And if we don't do that, then the sin is not going to be made open and aware to us that, hey, we deal with sin in a proper way. If we don't, then we just look at it nonchalantly and sin is sin, and if you want to sin, you can sin. If you don't, you don't. We're not going to do anything about it. That's the attitude that we have if we don't. Truly, do you know that most evangelical churches today, most evangelical churches today, do not carry this out. They believe in it, they say, just like we do, but they don't carry it out. Truly, truly, I say, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by the Father who is in heaven, for there is... Where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Here we have a vulnerable one inside the kingdom who's inside the church. This is a little one inside the circle of believers. And he or she is, is vulnerable. So when Jesus used the parable in Matthew in this context, he's referring to the concept of teaching. And the sheep straying represented the believer's falling into a pattern of sin, departing from the pattern of righteous living to, you know, uh, suited for God's children. So the parable of the one lost sheep, Jesus uses, focuses attention on the lost sheep over the 99 who didn't stray, who stayed in place. And Jesus' purpose 
was to correct the misconception that the believer who sinned was less valuable. Listen, less valuable in God's eyes than the rest. This is why I say a lot of times we look at something, me and others, and we're judgmental at this, whether we like to admit it or not. Well, they shouldn't have done that. And they shouldn't have. But there's very little concern as far as seeing that they're, even though they, they've sinned, they're still not less valuable to God's kingdom and God. In, in reality, the Father values all the believers equally. Jesus made it uh, clear with this point when he emphasized the value of the straying sheep. And so the way Jesus emphasized the Father's love for a straying believer was by highlighting the trouble by which the father, the shepherd, left the flock and continually hunted for the straying sheep. The word if expresses uncertainty. If he returns, you have won a brother. If he repents, this emphasizes, or emphasizes the fact that some, sometimes a straying brother will not or sister will not return to the fellowship of community. Uh, uh, of community, of believers, in 18 verses 15 through 17. But at other times, the sheep will decide to follow God and repent. So there is that if there. And the tension of the uncertainty regarding the believer's restoration makes a joy at the restoration of a single person even greater. Because we say, hey, we don't know if they're going to return. We don't know their heart. But when they do return, praise God, they have returned. They have made that decision. They've repented. So that, as I said earlier, does not minimize the joy he had for the faithfulness of the 99 sheep. It assumed that he, had already, he was already greatly pleased with them. This is just a view of the awesome grace towards those who are undeserving, which means all of us, but especially those who have strayed. And it should be a reminder to us that, hey, we sin too. And that means that, man, we need to take it serious when we do sin. Verse 14, Jesus continued his emphasis on the value of the individual believer, especially the one who rebels. And the Father's will, in his permissive will, that is his heart's desire, which he sometimes allows not to be fulfilled when they reject, this is in contract with his, uh, or contrast with his sovereign will, which is always perfect and fulfilled. Well, both of them are perfect, but... Uh, he allows in his permissive will for man to be imperfect. And so a straying believer who returns fulfills both God's sovereign will and his permissive will. A believer who does not return fulfills the perfect wisdom of God's sovereign will, but he breaks the, the Lord's heart by, by going against the longing of God's permissive will. And as I said, perish is not utterly being destroyed. It is losing 
one's rewards in heaven. As Corinthians talks about it, it being burned up in the end. Be welcome into heaven, but little or no rewards. Let me uh, read you something from uh, Ryle. This is an old writer. He says there's one thing, well, this, this came from uh, Johnson, but he's talking about Ryle. He says, there's one thing, however, upon which almost all of us agree. It is that the church today stands in def- desperate need of spiritual growth. The standards of life found in too many of our churches are not distinguished by biblical holiness. Say what one will about the Puritans, they had a yearning for holy living to mar- uh, that marked them out as a different breed. Bishop Ryle traced the lack of holiness, and this was an old writer. Listen to what he says, to politics, controversy, party spirit, and worldliness. And these are important conditions of the present spiritual condition that this world is in, and the church. I would like to suggest another problem, the problem of the neglect of church discipline. The apostasy has been able to proceed at such a rapid pace largely because the believers, when the ugly departures from the faith first raised their heads like serpents in the gardens of Eden, did nothing about it. This is why I feel so convicted. Failing to exercise biblical discipline, they have had to learn by sad experience the truth of the apostolic admonition, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Galatians 5 9. There is hardly a major denomination in the country that is not a living illustration of this. And the unfortunate experience has been repeated in countless individual local churches. If discipline had been exercised at the first signs of the departure from the faith, the purity of the body might have been continued. As it's mentioned, or something in reference to it, you can see the importance of it. Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, Galatians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1 and 3, Hebrews 13, 2 John, 3 John, and probably others. So the next sermon will deal with how the church is to participate with Christ in the pursuit of a straying brother as we look at the verses to follow. I don't know about you, but I think it's time for us to make a commitment as a church to do something about this, to follow through with it and be true with it. Otherwise, we're going to be like the majority of the churches today. They're drifting. You say, well, you know, any church except anybody else, all they've got to do is just go whether they're out of fellowship with you or not. Yes, but once you take that stand, you let the other believers in the church know, plus them, how serious sin is. And you do it in a loving way. And we'll talk about that because 
What was the key word? Concern. And it will continue, even through the discipline. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your wonderful love and your grace. And Lord, thank you for all that you mean to us. And God, this is a, a tough passage, especially in this day and time, because we just don't want to deal with it. Uh, we want to claim it, but we don't want to deal with anything like that for the most part. And so we don't, we, we don't really see the, the difference between discipline and, and punishment. And so, God, I pray that, that no matter what the culture may teach or think or psychologists, teachers may, uh, may emphasize, I pray that, that we will see the truth and the truth will set us free and that we will make a stand and that we will start doing what we need to do according to what you would have us to do here. It takes much prayer. It takes concern. It takes a broken heart. It takes humility. And God, I pray that we'll emphasize all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. God's dealing with you in any way. You come today. Let's stand. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Hold me and make me after thy will. While I am way. Yielded and still. Amen. Any announcements? Uh, I know we start Sunday night, right after July the 4th, right? The weekend. So, any other announcements? Operation Christmas Child, still collecting. So, don't forget that. Okay? Any others? Okay. Y'all ready to rejoice and leave and thank God for a beautiful day, a wonderful day, a day that he's made, and let's just see him work in a mighty way throughout it. Brother. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here, holy, holy. I will bless his name again. He is here, listen closely. Hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him. You will never be the 